good afternoon to you and welcome to this edition of A Reason for Hope. Good heavens, it has been some time since I've had the opportunity to say that. Uh, Sean Richards hosting today on A Reason for Hope and joined today by Peter Martin and Pastor Bo Olette from Calvary Christian Fellowship. Good to see you gentlemen. Good, good to, to see be here. you too, man. It's always a pleasure. And How does uh, it course, feel hosting again, Sean? For so many months. The angles are very disorienting, but I'm <laughs> highly uplifted because I managed to find, uh, well, I guess good news and bad news. Uh, neighbor's horse died, but I found a very specific catering company for that. So we're all in good mood today. <laughs> anyway, so if you want to send us your questions, uh, we're going to be starting off, obviously, with the new alignment, or at least uncommon alignment, I think would probably be the better way to put it. Uh, we will still be taking your questions and storing them either for future use or for answering later in the broadcast. We're going to be starting and discussing a uh, basically revisiting of an old format. What was the uh, term you used for it, Bo? Uh, blazing with Bo? Talking about Blaze Pascal. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Induendos <laughs> <laughs> uh, aside, um, if you want to or if this topic interests you, you can still join us. Our questions for hope at gmail.com email address is always open to receive your questions. You can join us on Twitter at scottr4h at twitter.com. And, of course, our YouTube page and our Facebook pages where we are live streaming are A Reason for Hope on YouTube and Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, as well as A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A on Rumble. I want to give you guys as much time to discuss your topics as we possibly can, so I'll leave the advertisements for that. Um, Bo, would you like to start us off with a word of prayer and then uh, see where the Lord takes us? Yeah, absolutely. Father, we thank you so much for our time together and it's so wonderful to be with my brothers and to be able to uh, share um, about uh, your word and the people that you've impacted in history that uh, in turn impact us people that you that you used greatly uh, pray that uh, those that are listening would be blessed and that father uh, the things we share would honor you and give you glory in jesus name amen that is true. All right, Amen. so. So today. Blazing with Bo. Blazing with Bo. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, this this person that we're going to talk about um, is uh, my probably my favorite philosopher. But he, he's not just a philosopher. He's He really was known in his day as more of a mathematician, an inventor. He was like everything. He was, he was, a, he was, <laughs> he was everything. <laughs> it seems like a lot of people back then. something, he could do it. You know? <laughs> Why were they smarter back he then? He could probably beatbox. He could probably skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, probably, you could think of it, he could he do it. He was a good yeah. surfer. <laughs> yeah. My logic is lack of cell phones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, and uh, anyway, it was so, he, he's been so impactful in my own life and, and really thinking through theology. And, and theology is... Uh, obviously the study of God right and, and this is very important we're to have good doctrine and and this is uh, something that the scripture tells us to mm. in the book of Titus it tells us to have uh, to hold fast to good doctrine yeah. sound doctrine yeah. and um, so studying people and the way people think is very important yeah um, and uh, and one thing about studying people like who we're going to get into is that you realize there's really nothing new under the sun, mm. that the arguments that this gentleman had to deal with in his day are really similar arguments that we have to deal with in our day. Yeah. And the way he had to approach his culture is really a lot of times the way we have to approach our culture as well. Yeah. 
And so uh, the person that we're going to be talking about is Blaise Pascal uh, from the 1600s. Yeah and a Frenchman of all people. And you've already <laughs> spoken of one uh, freshman, uh, uh, Frenchman who was a non-Christian. <laughs> not a great guy. Not yeah. a great guy. Yeah, that's why we want to do this segment. I wanted to show that not everything from France is terrible. Because <laughs> uh, Pascal's, I know he's your favorite philosopher. Yeah. I actually hadn't read his book until this past month. I, I finally went through it. And I, I got to say, he's just going through his book and studying it and looking through it. I confidently say he's definitely one of the brightest minds that Christianity has produced ever. Um, I would definitely put him in like the top five thinkers uh, ever in philosophy. Forget Christianity for a second, just in philosophy. He writes in a really interesting way. Uh, he writes almost like like Solomon, like in Proverbs. So he has like, you know, number one, and he has like a thought, and it's like this thought you got to think about for the rest of your it's life. Dense. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like dense. his sentences are so dense. <laughs> but you know, it, it, it's like a proverb. It's like going through the proverbs yeah. where they are dense too. Sometimes you mm -hmm. read it and you're like, okay, let me read that again. Yeah. And yeah, let me read that again. <laughs> and you have to like really meditate on that throughout the day. Yeah. And um, you know, Blaze certainly uh, writes like that. Um, so for those that are out there, you know, you can pick up, a, you know, his. there's different copies mm. of his book. Uh, um, and this is the one that I prefer. It's a fairly easy reading it's of called his material. Pensies, or is the French word for thoughts. Thoughts, that's right. right. And... Um, <clears throat> And for those that aren't into reading like a giant <laughs> manuscript on philosophy, yeah. uh, like me, right. where I, I would have a struggle if I had to read a big, thick book uh, from a philosopher, I'd rather just get in the Bible myself. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, this is nice because, it, like you say, there is little sections. Right Now, Blaze is known um, for what is called the wager. Mm-hmm which is uh, not the only thing that he wrote. Yeah. And, and these things weren't published until actually after he passed away. Right. Uh, and by the way, Blaise Pascal lived just a short Died life. Died young. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was in his 30s, I think, when mm -hmm. he died. Um, it, which is unreal. Right. I mean, this guy at the age of 12 is already like... Right. Just... Figuring out everything with math. And, <laughs> That's right. I mean, even most people that learn about Blaise Pascal is they learn about Pascal's triangle, right? Uh, in mathematics. So That's right. you know, before this guy was forty, he's already solving <laughs> age-long problems with ma that have like plagued mathematicians for years and years and years, and figuring out how to calculate angles of triangles and stuff like that. And then he also, like you said, applied his mind to many other things. And when you go through Pensies, when you go through thoughts. He's not just talking about theology. He's talking about history. He's talking about science. He's talking about natural sciences. He's, yes. he's, he's interacting with all these different sources of thought throughout yeah. the ages. And he's it's really intense. But like you said, the beauty of it is like you could just read one thought. That's right. And you could just meditate on that for a little and bit. And even Sean, he says he has quite a bit to say about Muhammad yep. and about Islam. He does. And uh, he's got sections on that, which is very, very cool. So you can see kind of where uh, his thought was, his thought life was in the 1600s. The Wager is his probably most prominent work. Yeah. Um, many pastors have actually 
I must say they've kind of misquoted yeah. <laughs> Pascal, um, and I have n I've always been good not to like harp on this, right, right. because I know what they're getting at, right. but you might have heard the idea of Pascal saying that there's a God-shaped vacuum right. in everybody, right? Yeah. Which is a misquote. Which of, is a misquote of Pascal. It's, it, not only is it a reduced argument to what he actually said, yeah. but I would, I would say that it, it in some ways misses the point of what he said. Uh, because he's not saying there's a God-shaped vacuum in the sense that what most theologians are getting at is that there's a vacuum within the human soul that only God can fill because he's eternal. What Pascal is actually getting at is he's getting at the idea that it's actually a proof for God's existence. And he says, if natural man can't find something to satisfy us, that would insinuate that if you go back, there must have been a more perfect version of what we're seeking and if you keep going back, you would find the most perfect version of it, namely God. Uh, but it's it's a it's, it's a very very intricate point. Yeah, let me just say the what actual he said. quote. Yeah, he says because that infinite abyss, meaning your heart, right, right, <laughs> the infinite abyss, he's so dense. Yeah, tell us what you really think. That infinite <laughs> abyss can be filled only by something infinite and immutable. Hmm. That is to say, only by God Himself. Right. And so, um, but that's that's kind of what a lot of us in church uh, have heard before about Pascal is that idea of that God-shaped vacuum right. that, that 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 only God can fill your heart. Kind and of even thing. even the wager, I find people misquoting. Mm -hmm. um, this is the first time I've actually read the full content of the wager. Yeah, I've always heard that it was a little more dense than I, what I was hearing. But usually, what I hear about the wager is like, well, you know, we don't really know if there is a God. But if you don't believe in God, you could go to hell. Yeah. But if you do believe in God, you might go to heaven. So it just behooves you to just believe in God. That's actually not the wager. No. That's not what his argument was. And we'll definitely, in one of the shows, we'll just get into the wager because it's so good. Yes. There's a reason why he's so famous for it. Yes. Uh, yeah. So so <clears throat> there is um, some things that maybe you listening out there and you go, oh, I think I understand now. I think I remember a pastor saying something about Blaise Pascal at one point. Right. You know, now Blaise... Um, really was part of a theology that mm. we call fetism. Mm. Uh, and what is that ex exactly? Do you know what that is? So fetism, and I, I only understand it a little bit from just talking to you today. Yeah. From what I could tell, fetism what comes from the Latin word faith, Correct. fide. Yep. Um, it's the idea that it's not pure reason or rationality that's going to get us to truth, but it's faith in itself that's going to move us forward. Yes. Yeah, so you, you want to read that quote? and mm -hmm. kind of give people an idea of how Pascal was kind of thinking about this. And then we'll kind of talk a little bit about his culture yeah. and why he was going in the t this direction. Yeah. So so just so you know, like um, it, like sometimes like when we reach out to people, yeah. like, you know, you know, you probably, you might be driving home and you're like thinking, well, man, I wonder why that person just doesn't believe. Yeah. It's like, I've told them all the evidence of Christianity. <laughs> I've shared with them everything that seems so rational, right. you know, and, 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 and Pascal's got an answer to that. Yeah, he does. Right. <laughs> which, which actually, uh, I'll explain this real quick before I read the quote. Yeah. It should make sense because we believe we're innately fallen. And so if we're fallen, everything about you is fallen. And that would mean that even your rational faculties are fallen to an extent. So this, this is the quote from Penzi's. He says, we must thus begin the chapter on the deceptive powers. Man is only subject, is a subject full of error, natural and ineffaceable, without grace. 
And that's the key word, without grace. Right. So we're all fallen. We all know this. Maybe you, you're listening and you go, oh, this sounds familiar too. Yeah, it's called original sin. Right. Right? <laughs> Man without grace. Nothing shows him the truth. Everything deceives him. These two sources of truth, reason and the senses, besides being both wanting and sincerity, deceive each other in turn. Mm. The senses mislead the reason with false appearances and receive from reason in their turn the same trickery which they apply to her. Reason has her revenge. The mm. passions of the soul trouble the senses and make false impressions upon them. They rival each other in falsehood and in deception. What's he getting at there? Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 22, it says, Put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Mm. Now, Paul's writing in the book of Ephesians to Christians about this deceitful lust that's still there kind of trickling around us. Well, Blaze is referring to the unregenerate human being. Right. And that when you're unregenerate, you have this trickery going on within you. Right. That's that's even working within your rational behavior. Right. So even the way you're perceiving things in our world, the way you're looking at things. Even your senses. Even your senses. Yeah. yeah so the way you, you're, you're picking up things. So all the people of his day who are like, <laughs> well, why doesn't God just show himself? Right. If he would just show me a miracle, I would believe. Well, Pascal is saying, well, what if your senses can even deceive you? Yeah. What if seeing really isn't believing? What if, what if you did see truth, but that truth has been distorted through the prism of your eyes, right? And now you're not really seeing what you think you're seeing. Right. And, you know, people, we have a friend, Adrian Van Vactor, that makes a living off of that, right? You can, <laughs> you can trick the senses fairly easily, actually. Right. And so all these people that have come up with, the, at the time, as the scientific method is moving forward, rationality and enlightenment are reigning in Europe. And people are like, oh, we don't need these antiquated religions anymore. We don't need revelation from God. We can figure everything out through pure reason. Right. And this was a big philosophy in French right. or in, the, in France, mm-hmm. right? You had philosophers like Descartes, mm-hmm. who was big of that day, who was a, um, a person at the time of Blaise Pascal as well. Right. And, you know, they had a more kind of um, rational thought to how we know right. and it's through our brain faculties right. and that we can trust our brain we right. can't trust our senses right De- descartes was yeah. of the sort yeah. but we can trust our brain right and so um that's how we know things yeah. and and what pascal's seeing in his day mm. and i want to help i want to see if anybody out there is seeing this in our day right is that they were saying, oh, you know what? We're so smart and we, and we really know so much now that really we can trust everything that we're saying right now right. and what, how, how we know things. And, and so, you know, um, you know and, 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 and so he lived in a culture that very much was filled with in, in self-absorbed right. with intellectual Pride. Enamored with the wisdom of man. Enamored with the wisdom of man. And this is a this is a quote from the Satanic Temple. Nice. Which, uh, this isn't know, Blaise Pascal. This is not Blaise Pascal. <laughs> but the Satanic Temple, they just had a, a, a Satan con over the weekend. And by the way, people who are Satanists in this context, they don't actually believe in a real literal devil. 
what they believe is that they're setting up their lives in opposition to Judeo-Christian values. That's why Satan is kind of their mascot. And part of their tenets, these are two of their seven tenets. One is, one should strive to act with compassion and empathy towards all creatures in accordance with reason. So how do we get to ethics? Reason tells you how to treat other people with kindness. Uh, next, beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care to never distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. So how do we come to truth from this perspective? The scientific institutions and your reason and rationality, right? Sounds a lot like experience through the senses <laughs> that's right. and pure reason. And that's exactly what Pascal is going against. It's going against. So fetism, what Pascal was doing with, with this idea of fetism or faith is in, he was really, um, he, he desired to, to destroy faith and reason so that he could restore faith in faith, yeah. you know? And that was his idea is like needing to destroy faith and reason. Right. That reason's going to get you and get us to where we need to be. Because mm. all he saw that what happened to humans in their reason mm. was they became pride, prideful or mm. utterly depressed. Right. And he saw that continually happening in his world. Now, let me ask you in our world, do we have an issue with depression yeah. today? Yeah. yeah, we do. Interesting, right? Yeah. Do we have a, a, a problem with pride? Yeah. Well, we wouldn't say it's a problem. <laughs> we say pride month, man. Pride, pride week. Right. You know? We have pride day every yeah. day. But you know what? I, but obviously, there's something going on with pride. Yeah. But it's interesting that the two things that Blaze saw in his day is what we see in our day as well. Yeah. And so fetism was the idea of, it's a theology of coming back to something that the book of Romans talks about, mm -hmm. and that is faith, mm -hmm. that there's a righteousness of God apart from the works of the law right. that is now been revealed, mm -hmm. and it's through faith in Jesus. Right. And Pascal saw that, you, that in order to get in a balanced way as a human being, right. in order to see things properly, it had to come through the means of faith, right. not through the means of reason alone. Yeah. Now, you know, Blaze was an interesting guy. He was a Catholic guy, mm -hmm. um, and he wasn't in like uh, good standing all the time with even the Catholic Church. No, he wasn't. <laughs> right? He does criticize a little bit. You know, he does criticize the Catholic Church towards the end of his book. You know. Yeah, and he was part of a group of Catholics that uh, from one bishop. Yeah. Uh, I want to say he was out of Belgium, maybe. Mm -hmm. But um, um, and they 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 kind of went against another big group of the Catholic Church. The Jesuits. The Jesuits. Yeah. And, and so there was really a battle. Um, you, know, you know, Pascal very much wanted, uh, was going back to a theology of that God saves people. Right. And that we need a divine work to come and impact our hearts. Right. That we can't get there through just intellectualizing the faith. Right. Or just reasoning people into the kingdom of God. Right. 
So some of his quotes are really powerful and they really are a, uh, I think an interesting instruction to apologists of our day, even us. No, absolutely. Uh, and you gotta remember what, what he's doing, and this is so prescient, right? It's so crazy yeah. how prophetic this idea was. So what was happening is you have these materialists coming from the scientific renaissance period of Europe, and they're saying, well, how do we really know anything, right? And so some people are saying, well, we only know it through like empirical study, right? right. Only through science, science is, is how we know everything. Scientific thing. And then some people were going against that and they were saying, well, no, no, we can't really know anything, right? The skeptics of, well, how do you even know your science is correct? Because, you know, nature is always fluctuating and things like that. And then you have Descartes who comes in and he says, I think, therefore I am. In other words, what? You can't really trust your senses that much, but you can trust your intellect, like you said earlier. So how do we know truth? Through pure reason and rationality. And you see a very interesting, and Descartes, by the way, was a Christian guy. He's coming at it from a Christian perspective, but he's leading us into a bad negative view of how God has created us and how the world actually works. This reaction, this response is very, very much like what's going on in our world today. So you have these scientific institutions that are being erected and they're being distorted. And so Christians are going against it and they're reacting against the scientific uh, evidences presented to us through pure reason. We're like, no, 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 the reason why you're wrong is because you're not reasoning correctly. And they're not recognizing the undergirding faiths that are giving each person their views of reality. It's not pure reason that gets you to your position. You have faith that precedes it and then moves you into your position, right? Reestablishing it through your reasoning. So great example. Uh, the debate about transgenderism. So some people are like, well, scientifically, it's actually proven that gender is on a spectrum, and we could show you here that, you know, there's not actually a binary gender, there's actually multiple genders out there, and you could identify however you please and all this stuff. And then Christians come back and they say, well, no, 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 scientifically, there are only two genders, and you could see them right here, and they're expressed through female and male gametes. And, you know, they're going at it from this pure reason and rationality perspective. And then they wonder. And then they wonder. But Pascal would say, well, yeah, but from their perspective, because we would be like, well, that doesn't even work in evolutionary biology because, you know, we have to procreate. And Pascal would come back and say, yeah, but you guys have different worldviews. You have different faiths. Their faith is not that they have to serve and honor the creator through their biology. Their faith is that we just have to live out our lives to whatever we want. And why can't I change the human biology and anatomy to fit what I want? Mm. If you got cancer, you go into the doctor to get the cancer taken care of, right? So if you have some problem with your gender, why can't you go to the doctor to fix that too? And so we're arguing, but we're almost arguing like materialists. Mm. And this is what Pascal says about uh, Descartes, which I love, <laughs> I like this quote. To write against those who made too profound a study of science. Descartes. <laughs> That's all he writes. And then he keeps going. He says, I cannot forgive Descartes. In all his philosophy, he would have been quite willing to dispense with God. But he had to make him give a Philip to set the world in motion. Beyond this, he has no further need of God. Descartes, useless and uncertain. <laughs> so, you know, you look at it, and you're like, oh, that kind of, that does sound a little like some Christian apologists today where they're arguing for the existence of God without God. Yeah. They're not even talking about God or grace or faith or anything like that. They've thrown him out, and they're like, well, yeah, God had to start everything, and that's the only place they could get to. But they're not actually arguing for God in the realm of theology. 
because they're afraid of being mocked. And Pascal's not afraid to be mocked. He's right. like, he's going to show them that, no, you guys are playing into their game. So Blaze, when he, when he writes about this kind of argumentation, <clears throat> this kind of uh, apologia, this apologetics uh, to the Christians of his day. Mm. So now he's writing to the Christians of his day who are trying to convert people through reason. Right. Right. And now this is what he says. I marvel with what rashness these persons undertake to speak of God, mm. addressing their remarks to non-believers. Their first chapter is to prove God's existence through the works of nature. Mm. So have you ever come to someone and said, man, can't you just see God like all over the place, mm. like in the moon and in the stars, and in the mountains? And the guy and the person looks at you and goes, no. <laughs> and you're like, what? Like, you don't see God in everything? And they go, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I see billions of years of evolution. Right. And you're like, what? <laughs> you know, if you've ever thought that way. Yeah. This is, now, this is what he's going to chastise, if you will, right. is this kind of way of argument. Right. Uh, and now, he's writing in the 1600s in, in France. He says, I should not be astonished at this undertaking if they were writing for the faithful, for it is certain that those who have a keen faith within their hearts to see straight away that everything that is is nothing other than the handiwork of God whom they worship. But as for those in whom that light has been extinguished, mm. now this is just like that first quote you, you read of, of Pascal. Mm -hmm. This is what he's talking about. The light has been extingu right. extinguished. Right. Right? He's talking about original sin. Right. Meaning they don't have the grace to see things right. with the, in a sense, God lens right. in their eyes. So he says, in those in whom that light has been extinguished and in whom one sinks and one seeks to rekindle it, meaning you're trying to rekindle that lost flame yeah. of God consciousness. Those persons bereft of faith and grace and mm. seeking with all their spirit everything in nature which can lead them to that knowledge find only obscurity and darkness. Mm. Right? Yeah. So you, you try to point someone to the creation and you say, hey, that's God. Can't you see God's hand? Blaze is saying there's only obscurity and darkness. Right. Which sounds a lot like Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses, <laughs> right? Not you're kind of bad off. You're a little confused, you know, like, but let me give you some info. You're dead in your trespasses. You're dead. You can only be made alive through the grace of God. Even in 2 Corinthians, one of my favorite passages, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he talks about people being blinded by the God of this earth, meaning uh, it sounds a lot like what Pascal is saying. Right, the, the light has been extinguished in them. They're being blinded by the God of this earth from seeing the goodness of God within the creation. And Paul says that God then allows that light to shine in their hearts. And he uses the same phrase that is used in the book of Genesis when God calls light out of darkness. Mm. Right, That's the kind of grace that Pascal's talking about, the kind of flipping on a light switch, and you just see the world differently. Yeah, right. and a lot of us can, a lot of us kind of experience that. Right. Like when we have a born again experience, most people aren't like going the route of like, you know, 
I just rationally one day looked at the sun yeah. <laughs> and I went, you know what? There has to be a creator. God, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and like, and I just, at that point, I gave my life to Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, it's usually not like that. Right. It's usually this, like, there's a, a revelation of some sort. You have an experience An experience uh, where all of a sudden you put your faith in Christ. Right. Um, and um, uh, so... He, he goes on and he says, to tell them, meaning to tell people who have this obscurity and darkness over them, mm. that they have only to see the least of these things that lie about them, and they will see God made manifest, mm. and to give them for sole proof of this great and important matter the course of the moon and the planets, mm. and to claim to have completed the proof of his existence with such a demonstration is to give them reason to believe that the proofs of our religion are weak indeed. <laughs> it's kind of a, it sounds like he's going in the, like... And it's funny because, again, a lot of Christians, the reason why they talk like that from the naturalistic sciences to convince the non-believer is because they're afraid of looking foolish in front of the world that rejects God. Right. And what Pascal is saying is, no, you're actually making yourself foolish right now right? this is <laughs> this is what's making you look foolish it's making you look really dumb by trying to prove god through secondary causes yeah right through just looking at the stars and the moon and saying this proves god that looks weak that's what he says yeah and it's really radical because you know it's funny it's like we teach a lot about the centrality of jesus mm. and obviously the bible stresses the centrality of jesus we're not yeah. saved right through the moon and the stars right. and the planets right. we're saved through jesus christ right and so it's very and, and this is what blaze was trying to bring back right into uh apologetics right was that let's do apologetics by sharing jesus with people right let's share christ with people the historical Jesus, right. and Blaze certainly believed in a historical Jesus. I mean, the, the latter part of his book yeah. is real. I mean, it's one of the most intensive portions, but he goes through the proofs of Jesus through prophecy. He goes through the proofs of Jesus historically, and he goes through the proofs of Jesus miraculously. And it's really well thought out. It's re We're definitely going to get to him. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. That's his idea. We share Jesus with people, and we wait, wait we expect god to act through grace that's, that's the right. idea yeah and it's very first corinthians that says you know um one of our question uh, uh questioners on a reason for hope asked that question about what is the foolishness of that which is preached mm. i remember a few weeks ago when i was on the show yeah. such a good question too what is the foolishness of that which is preached in the book of first corinthians yeah. you know and it is the gospel right it is the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Mm. And it seems foolish to those that are perishing. Yeah. But to God, it is the awaking mechanism to life from the dead, mm. right? It is the thing, it is the key that opens up people's hearts. It is the key to grace. Mm. Grace doesn't come, it, it doesn't come at the absence of Christ. Mm. It can only come through Christ, right? Right. So we can't reason someone to grace. Yeah. Uh, we no, you can only we can bring them to Christ, right? And then, but grace has to come through Christ, mm. you know. And so, and Blaze was really trying to get this home. Yeah. And so he finishes this by saying, "Hey, you know, you know," he says, "and I, and I note, 
I love that. <laughs> By reason and experience that nothing is more likely to arouse in the disdain for the religion. Hmm. Meaning no, disdain. Like hatred for Christianity. Hatred for Christianity is us trying to win people yeah. through their rational yeah. arguments. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that radical? So it's like I've heard Pastor Scott say sometimes, I remember his stories of him going to uh, work out at the gym. And, you know, they'd always, you know, he'd run across some atheist who was like, man, you know, those Christians, they all try to buddy-buddy up to me. You know, the, the atheist <laughs> is talking here. Right, right. You know, and saying that, you know, the atheist doesn't, he doesn't have any respect for Christians because they're trying to fit in, you know. The a, Bible into science. In, yeah. The Bible into science. And, and, and he, he would say to Scott, you know, at least like you hold, you know, to your position, you <laughs> yeah. know, on, on the Bible being created and or the, the world being created in six days yeah. and on the seventh day God rested and yeah. the earth is not as long as, you know, 75, whatever year, trillion now years old. I don't know. What is it now, Sean? Billion, trillion. I think the earth is supposedly now 4 billion. 4 billion? I thought it was 6.5 billion. Yeah. <laughs> Might have gone up. I've, I've, you know, it's been a couple of years since I looked it up. <laughs> so so that that's kind of his way of apologetics yeah. of his day. And I think uh, one last quote, and then we'll get into questions, because yeah. I think this kind of sums up what we've been talking about. And like I said, we'll, we'll have you back on. We'll keep going through some Pascal quotes, because they're just so good and so relevant for our time. Um, but this is what he says. Men despise religion. I like that. Mm -hmm. Men despise religion. They hate it, and they also fear that it is true. To remedy this, we must begin by showing that religion is not contrary to reason, that it is venerable to inspire respect for it. Then we must make it lovable, to make good men hope that it is true. Finally, we must prove that it is true. Venerable because it has perfect knowledge of man, lovable because it promises the true good. Mm. So notice what he's saying. He's like, you can't start with someone who already hates it. And be like, yeah, but it's true. You know, like, if it's true, does that, he's going to resist it even more. He's going to hate it even more. He's like, no, no, no. You, if, if there's going to be a work of grace inside of this person's life, the work of grace is only going to begin if this person begins to hope it's true. Mm. And then if it, he hopes it's true, then he might be able to participate with the inspiration of the Spirit. And then you can show him that it is true. Mm. Right? So once he sees the stars and the sun from this new worldview, this new lens, then he can glorify God in it. Yeah, and it's so true, right? When you when someone first preaches Christ to you, you know, you might go, man, that's weird. You know, <laughs> you might think it's weird, but then you might ponder it. Right. And you might go, man, that would be awesome. Right. Wouldn't that be awesome if, some, if my sins could be forgiven? Yeah. If I could be cleansed of my sin mm. and the error of my way, that I could dwell with my creator in peace, mm. that I could not have this tension anymore of feeling like I'm in a lost world. Mm you know um and you know that hope does something in you right right it starts bringing you closer mm. you know um and that's what blaze is talking about which yeah. is very cool yeah i mean the whole title of our show is a reason for hope right so what's the purpose of the truth which would be the reason it's for the hope right that's it right it's it's the hope that brings a man to god reason is not utilized to bring someone to God. It's the hope that brings us to God. Reason then just adds X as a support beam for the for the hope. But the yeah. hope is the main point. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah, and you know, uh, <clears throat> nothing's, you know, when we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, you know, the reason why there's such tension we can have in sharing with people is because we're like, it's so reasonable Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah. And people are like, what? <laughs> like, how is that reasonable? Right. Because they're looking at in, empiricism. Right. You know, they're looking at scientific fact. Right. They're looking at, you know, reason, mental facil uh, capabilities. Right. You know, what's in their brain, mm. you know, and they don't see the resurrection. Right. But, um, they don't see the power of the resurrection. Mm. But that all comes through. Christ, right? You know, right? Uh, through an understanding of knowing Christ, it's relational, mm. knowing Jesus. So, Blaze really has a lot to teach us, mm. and he is definitely a very important Christian teacher for the short time that he lived. So, anyway, that's our first kind of intro to the Blazer. And we'll keep blazing with Bo. We'll keep blazing <laughs> until, until right. we understand him. <laughs> but yeah, I hope you guys have enjoyed it, uh, uh, this little segment. But let's get into the questions. Yes. Yeah, since we, of course, are discussing all things <coughs> Blaze Pascal, and we'll Ooh. be waiting for questions of any other topic to come our way. Um, obviously, good follow-ups as far as what was mentioned during the discussion. Could you go a little bit more into Pascal's wager and why it isn't just a, well, you never know, what, what really <laughs> is actually the substance of his argument? No, 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 good, good question. Um, well, you want to start that one off? Yeah, uh, Pascal uh, starts the wager off um, it, actually a lot different than kind of a uh, uh, kind of the, this like blase like hey it's a, the roll of the dice and the wager is this kind of you know are you going to be in heaven or are you going to be in hell and you know you get the idea that some people uh, have this idea about Pascal's wager where it's like um, um, you know even if the gospel's not true you know it's okay because at least I live my life good Right. You know, and, you know, so, you know, that kind of idea that Pascal had this idea that it was, you know, even if it wasn't true, at least you're waging on the better side of right. things in life, <laughs> you know, and, and that's not how he, he starts it off. Um, he starts it off much different in that he actually starts it off with very, uh, very mathemat mathematical kind of logic mm. where he starts talking about infinity. And he starts talking about the knowledge of God being infinite, yeah. and and how then then he comes into this incredible quote where he says any number in comparison with infinity is annihilated. I think I, I think I got the quote. Yeah, here. yeah. When I consider the short duration of my life swallowed up in the eternity before and after, the little space in which I fill and even can see engulfed in the infinite infinite immensity of spaces of which I am ignorant and which know me, know me not. I am frightened and I am astonished at being here rather than there. And there is no reason why here rather than there, why now rather than then. Who has put me here? By whose order and direction have this place and time been allotted to me? Mm. So he's saying like, if, if you look at your life, look at just space for instance, right? All around us, there's just infinite oceans of nothingness, right? And he's right. like, why am I here? Why do I have existence as opposed to non-existence? And when I start wrestling with the fact that it's far more likely that I wouldn't exist than I would exist, why am I here? And then when I start wrestling with the fact that if there is not only an infinite amount of space to our knowledge, there might also be an infinite amount of time. 
And so when I die, right, when I go back into the infinitude of space that is not living, then I will be in that space forever, right, regardless of what state I might be a part of. And I need to wrap my mind around this infinitude of reality, the infinitude of God, the infinitude of space, the infinitude of time. And I need to start realizing that this little blip of life that we're experiencing right now, <laughs> That's right. As, as, as important as it may seem to you, and it isn't, he's not saying it's not important, but he's saying as important as it may seem to you, you may want to start thinking about infinity. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Because remember, he's trying to say like, hey, you know what? You want to be a rational being? You want to take pride in your rationality? Well, how much do you really know in comparison to the eternal, right. to the infinite? So it says unity added to infinity does not increase it at all any more than a foot added to an infinite measurement. Hmm. The finite is annihilated in the presence of the infinite and becomes pure nothingness. You know, so it is with our mind before God, with our justice before divine justice. So he says any kind of rationality you try to put forth, Justice. Let's talk about justice. Mm. What can you think of in your mind with the just society? Right. He says that's nothing compared to infinite justice. <laughs> so take any subject. Right. And he says, and then compare that to infinite righteousness. Right. Infinite justice, infinite mercy. And infinite this is grace. this is like so in the face of the progressive mentality <laughs> totally. where they're like, well, we've been around for so long and, you know, we've tried out these different methods of justice and truth and uh, discovery and things. I think we've gotten it right now. That's right. And he's like, you just don't have any clue <laughs> about what is out there. You're so yeah. arrogant. And this is what think this. this is why Christopher Hitchens, the famous atheist, who passed away like five years ago, uh, you know, just did not like the wager. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Christopher Hitchens did not like the wager at all. No, he didn't. And it's yeah. because Christopher Hitchens always had this idea that, you know what, we're just going to get it right. Humanity in its humanism hmm. is finally going to get things right. Yeah. And so he, 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 that's how he, he always preached that. Yeah. Like, you know what? They just got it wrong. Mao just got it wrong. Yeah. You know, Marx just, he didn't go enough. <laughs> you know, we got it right now. We got it right. <laughs> we got it right. You know, that kind of idea. And, and, you know, Hitchens, Christopher Hitchens was a famous atheistic um, debater. You can go online and put Christopher Hitchens and me and Peter and Sean have always enjoyed his debates. He's got Just, a lot of wit. He's, yeah. a, he's a very witty guy, yeah. you know, but he's debated some of the heavy hitters in Christianity. William yeah. Lane Craig, I mean, you go down the list yeah. and he's debated them, you know. Um, so the wager starts way different right. than someone would think. It's not just there might be a God, there might not be, there's heaven, there's hell. No. So put safe money on heaven. It's no, no, no. You need to understand your place in the universe. You are a finite being in a finite area of time and space. You need to start wrestling with the fact that your existence is only going to last for a tiny amount of time, and then it will go into infinity. Yeah, look at what he says in the beginning of the wager. He says, for if there is a God, he is infinitely beyond our comprehension. Right. Since being indivis- in- indivisible and without limits. See, he's a mathematician. Yeah. So he's going, he's indivisible and without limits. He bears no relation to us. We are therefore incapable of knowing either what he is or whether he is. That being so, who would dare to attempt an answer to the question? Certainly not we who bear no relation to him. 
<laughs> he's saying, you know, the question is, is, is there a God? Right. He's saying, why would you even dare <laughs> right. to answer that question? <laughs> I mean, it's so, it's so, he just like wants to take, he wants to like punch right. his culture right. in, in the face and just say like, <laughs> like, you guys, how can you even dare right. to approach things that are incomprehensible right. to your own rationality? Right. So this is, it's a lengthier quote, but I think this quote in Pascal's words will sum up what the wager is. So yeah. This is kind of halfway through the, the chapter on the wager. He says, yeah. let us then, so in light of what Bo's talking about, like in light of the infinity and just the infinity of God, and who are you to even, you know, <laughs> think about infinity? You can't even understand the number infinity. Who are you even to think about God? And he says this, let us then examine this point and say, God is or he isn't, but to which side shall we incline? Reason can decide nothing here. There is an infinite chaos which has separated us. A game is being played. This is where we get the idea of the wager. The, a game is being played at the extremity of this infinite distance where heads or tails will turn up. What will you wager? According to reason, you can neither be the one thing nor the other according to reason. You can defend neither of the propositions. Do not then reprove for error those who have made a choice for you know nothing about it. No, but I blame them for having made not this choice, but a choice. For again, both he who chooses heads and he who chooses tails are equally at fault. They are both in the wrong. The true course is not to wager at all. Yes, but you have to wager. <laughs> so the agnostic is coming in, right? Yeah. He's speaking for the agnostic. Well, maybe we just shouldn't wager, maybe. but you have to wager. <laughs> it is not optional. You are embarked. Which will you choose then? Let us see, since you must choose, let us see which interests you least. You have two things to lose, the true and the good, and two things at stake, your reason and your will, your knowledge and your happiness. Your nature has two things to shun, error and misery. Your reason is no more shocked in choosing one rather than the other, since you must of necessity choose. This is one point settled, but your happiness, let us weigh to gain and the loss in wagering that God is. Let us estimate these two chances. If you gain, you gain all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Mm. <laughs> so that's, that's what, like I said, it's, it's usually condensed down and reduced to be a little more ridiculous than, than what I just read. Mm -hmm. But this is a heavy, heavy thought of what he's getting at, right? So he's saying you're, you're in a situation where you have to wager, and the wager is infinite. Like how many people, if I were to take them to the casino today and say, hey, what? let's wager 10 grand. Right. What kind of person would be like, oh, totally. Let's do it. it I, even if I don't even tell them what game, they're like, I would never wager that amount of money because I could lose. Well, Pascal's like, we're not wagering $10,000. We're wagering infinity. Right. And he says in, in the wager, he says, but that you still have an infinite amount to learn. Right. So you know, he's trying to help people understand just the, the gravity yeah. of the decision. Right. And so it's not like, you know, he's using it as a mockery, the idea of flipping heads or tails, and like it just so happens I might be right or might be wrong. No, no, he's saying you're in a situation in which you have to choose. You don't have an option to say, well, I'm not going to choose. I'm going to opt out. He's like, you have to choose. It's not optional. But what he's saying is if you have everything to gain in one area, and there is a concept of infinity of God, and he takes a lot of time later on in the same chapter to explain why 
betting on God is the right bet, right? Is the mm-hmm. safe bet in that way. But he does a, a really good job in this particular quote to show, well, yeah, but if you bet on God, what do you have to gain? Everything. Yes. What do you have to lose? Nothing. And one of the main points in the wager, and we can talk about this another time, is yeah. just that a lot of people object because of the obscurity of God. Hmm. And they go, well, I don't see God. You know, there's an obscurity with God. And, you know, I can just quote this one little section of it where he says, for the obscurity in which they find themselves and which they use as an objection against the church simply establishes one of the things the church maintains without affecting the other. Hmm. And far from proving her teaching false, confirms it. So in the wager, Pascal says what they are saying is actually um, a reason to reject God Hmm. is actually a biblical truth as to uh, uh, something that is true about God and about mankind, and that there's this issue. Which, by the way, just, just what you just said is so deep and nuanced, because think about what he's saying. He's take, talking to a culture that says reason and rationality will lead you to all truth. Now, one way that I can attack that is I would say, okay, well, then that would presuppose that the most intellectual amongst us would believe what you're saying. Right. But what do you see? You see the people, opposite. you see the opposite. So he's saying, wouldn't you go with the belief system that predicts that the most reasonable and intellectual people would reject what they're saying? Right. So you have one supposition that says, the most reasonable and rational intellectual will agree with us, but that's not what you see. Pascal is obviously much smarter than them, and he doesn't agree with them. But in Christianity, you have what? A prediction that, no, 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 by the wisdom of man, man rejects God. That actually you would expect the opposite. Right. And that's what you see. So he's like, so if that's what you see, why wouldn't you think that Christianity is accurate? Right. So it's very interesting what the atheist, when I used to argue, like, there is no God, where is God, da 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 what I was failing to see that actually I was affirming right. something that Christianity teaches. Right. <laughs> that, and I, thought it, I thought my argue, argument was like a great argument right. against, you know, the church, against Jesus Christ, against Christianity. You know, there's no God. If there's a God, why doesn't he just show himself? Right. But I didn't realize that the the obscurity of God in our world is actually what the Bible teaches right. is happening. Right. And it has a reason for that. And Pascal spends much time hmm. on this obscurity right. and why and what the Bible teaches about God. And so and and that is very radical. But everybody's heard the term that God's hidden his face. Uh, God is no longer present. Mm. Um, these are all things that the Bible teaches about deity, right. uh, the deity. God, uh, our sins have separated us from God. These right. are all from the book of Isaiah. Mm. Um, and Pascal really hones in on this idea. So, I mean, the wager is so good. If you have a friend, family member, someone who's a skeptic, just ask them to read the wager, right? You could try to explain it to them if you want, but it's, it's pretty dense. I would just say, hey, like, try to read the wager. Just, just see what you think of it. Just see what you make of the wager, because it, it's going to hit them. If they're, if they're paying even like a slight amount of attention, it'll hit them, because the intention of the wager is to show people you think you're being rational, 
how irrational are you actually being when you're giving these odds and you're giving these consequences, right? So you really right. believe you're being rational. You're not. Right. Yeah. So, you know, he says like, like this. Um, 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 he says, uh, oh, there's a quote from Blaze I'd love to get. Uh, For it is true <laughs> beyond all doubt that the time of this life, how much time do we have? We have six minutes. Six minutes. He says, but it is true beyond all doubt that the time of this life is but for an instant, mm. that the state of death is eternal, of whatever nature it may be, mm. and that thus all our actions and thoughts must take such a different course according to the state of that eternity, right. that it is impossible to take the slightest <laughs> step with the sense and judgment unless one determines it by the consideration of that point, which must be our final destination. Now he says this, and then he follows up by saying, there is nothing more obvious than that. Yeah. And so it is clear that according to the principles of reason, the conduct of men is quite unreasonable right. if they do not change their course. Right. Man, is he good. Yeah. I mean, he has such a way to be able to cut to the heart yeah. and, sh and make people go, oh, you know, I thought I was being reasonable. Yeah. But he's saying, no, you're going to die. Right. And death is eternal no matter what state it's in. Right. And if that's true, which it is, yeah. we know that empirically. Yeah. He says, then if you're using reason, reason yeah. <laughs> then and you know that to be true, <laughs> you know that to be true, then yeah. why wouldn't you change your course? Right. Why would, why, he says, why wouldn't, why would you be building houses or be, why wouldn't you seek the truth? Right. Man powerful so the argument isn't just with death in mind it's with infinity in mind the weight of god yes the revelation of god that what we have is sufficient that's part of his argument and then of course most importantly eternity's a long bargain and if these are the numbers you're playing with it's not a gamble anyone should take without at least looking into the information that we have that's so right. instead of an argument about you never know, it's here's what you do know. Why don't you think that's enough? Right. Yeah. Why don't you look into it? Yeah. Right. That would be the most, quote, rational <laughs> thing you can do yeah. if you're if you're boasting in your rationality. Right. You yeah. know. All right. Um, we got a few minutes. We got an email from David who wants to know. Uh, apparently he's going through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, he wants to know what Luke 14, 12 through 14 looks like in practical action. Let me read the passage here. You take it, Sean. Uh, this is <laughs> Jesus speaking. You said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So speaking of a forward-looking perspective, we got about uh, two minutes before the music starts. What would be a practical way of living this out to deliberately host dinners at poor houses and uh, I guess veterans hospitals? Or is Jesus getting a little bit more broad here? Yeah, so this is, uh, it goes pretty hand in hand with his concept of love that he uh, preached about in the Sermon on the Mount, right? If you love those who love you back, what credit is it to you for even the tax collectors and the sinners do the same? So in other words, what he's saying is like, if you really want to know if you're acting within love, act in charity towards those who cannot pay you back. Because if I'm simply inviting my friends and family over for dinner, that I, I could say that that's virtuous in the sense that I am treating my family well and I'm treating my friends well, 
but I can't say it's virtuous in the sense that it's selfless because I'm getting something out of it. And eventually they're probably going to return the favor. Jesus says, if you really want to know if you're doing something in a selfless manner, then do things that can't be repaid to you. So he's talking about charity towards people who can't pay you back. This is why James, the, the brother of Jesus later on said, this is true religion, charity towards widows and orphans, right? People who can't pay you back, people who have no means of giving you something in return for your efforts. Mm -hmm. So that's what Jesus is saying. He's not saying that I should neglect my family and friends because that's bad. Uh, or like doing good things for your family is bad because it gives you some sort of a dividend. Having a home fellowship's bad right, or right. something like that. <laughs> He's just saying that like the true test of the human heart would be doing things charitably in a way that you can't get anything physical in return. Yeah, and always remember the Messiah when he teaches, he's always teaching to reveal something. He's right. revealing the need for him. Right. And so if you read his writings and or what he said and you go, man, I fall short. Right. That's the point. I don't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the whole reason. Right. He's pointing you that you need a savior. Right, absolutely. Yeah. That's what he modeled. Can we repay him for what he did on the cross? Mm. Did he seek out people who were worthy of it, who could eventually, in yeah. the grand scope of eternity, eventually break even on this? Mm -hmm. No. No. Yeah, good stuff. So thank you for the question, David, and thank you guys for that lengthy and fruitful discussion about Blaise Pascal. And I yeah. understand we'll obviously be revisiting this, so... Stay tuned for that. <laughs> Part two. But, yeah. um, with that all being said, the music's just about to come on. So note, if you have questions for us, questionsforhope at gmail.com will remain open and available both on and off hours. Our social media platforms can also receive your questions. I'll be looking forward to engaging with you on them during the next broadcast. But until then, this has been Sean Richards with Pastor Peter Martin and Bo Olette on A Reason for Hope. God bless you. We'll see you all again next time. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.